Doing this is gonna be seamless unless you fuck me. I can lead you astray, straight to hell if you like. Give me a big black box and I can open your eyes. Are we keeping it real? Are we keeping it tight? Are we all just victims of our Welcome back to the Warby Movies, our podcast covering 25 of our favorite movies from any given decade. This is our miniseries covering. 2010 to 2019 this is our final episode episode 50 in which we are finally 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 talking about not only a best picture winner but parasite a movie which until yesterday i don't believe matthew had seen so let's rip the band-aid off yeah it sucks no i'm kidding uh, <laughs> that's my final opinion in, in the history of podcasts parasite sucks no no it was it was really good i knew it would be and it was i had no clue about the um the midpoint twist, which I think is impressive that I made it this far. I've seen, like, so many still images from it, I've seen so many people talking about it, and uh, I managed to not know about Basement Man. So yeah, no, I- I'm glad that it was as good as I hoped it would be, and uh, yeah. I mean, so, this is obviously one of those movies that I think you discussed it like Little Women, where you're like, I would have seen this, but yeah. it became very obvious that like we were going to cover this, because I'd seen it twice by the time we were like, in the very early drafting process of this list. Yeah, I, I bought it, like, the day it came out on demand, and I was going to watch it, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, know, I know it's going to be... I, like, I think it was already too late to take it off. Like, I had enthusiasm to see it. I had paid money for it, and it's just been sitting there waiting to be watched. So, yeah, that's that's why I took this risk. Like, I, I said earlier on, like, after Florida Project, like, Maybe let's not do ones I haven't seen anymore. But I knew that Parasite and Little Women were probably safer bets than um, than Florida Project was for me. But yeah, they're more. You did better than 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 normal this year. Like, like Handmaiden. That might be my favorite film in this in this in this uh, mini series we've done. Little Women was I'm, you know, while I may not have that incredibly emotional response to it that you did. I like in terms of acting and filmmaking it bowled me over and I'm super glad I saw it I thought Parasite was you know I'm glad I finally saw it Call Me By Your Name uh, I I liked more than I thought I would I'm trying to think if there are any others that were sort of Uh, I'm trying to think what what else did I introduce you to obviously Florida Project was a failure yes (laughs) Beale Street you liked yep sure did and I think that's it. I think so, too, yeah. Because that's sort of the period of time where I stopped seeing the new film. <laughs> oh, and, and Arrival as well. Arrival, yes. Which, yeah, that almost became a joke at that point where it's like, well, I already reviewed it for a podcast and I've owned it physically for years. Let's put it on the list and I'll just watch it for this. Yeah, So and I like that too. So here we are. And you've got, you've got Creed. I think I'd seen pretty much everything else that... <laughs> Creed and Chef. Creed and Chef. liked Creed more than you liked Chef. But yeah, there you go. It's just Kugler's are like a more impressive visceral re- uh, director than, than Favreau is. Mm. More than more than anything else. But, I mean, Chef, again, I would watch The Cooking Show. And I probably should watch <laughs> The Cooking Show that he does on Netflix. Yes, The Chef Show is a very easy watch. It's just raw cooking and Roy Choi, like, just having no time for anyone's bullshit. My favourite thing about this volume has been I have not once in the calendar year of 2020 forgotten to hit record on a podcast, which I think is a first in my years of podcasting. <laughs> it's always been at least one, but yeah. I thought this was you going to turn around and do it, apart from this 
Oh, can All you imagine? of this conversation is being done to the ether. No, there, there is one potential opportunity to fail to do it, so I may have jinxed myself, but by the time you've heard this, it's either happened or it hasn't, so... We'll see what happens with the Christmas special. But, cool. Uh... So yes, we are doing Parasite, Bong Joon-ho's most recent movie, because obviously pandemic shut down all movies. Uh, so you've seen his like Western movies, like the ones yes. with recognisable Western faces, along with obviously like his his cohort of like actors that he likes to use a lot. But like Snowpiercer and Okja are the two that you've seen. Yeah. So, so I, you, I was really you're... like intrigued to see you know him use his native toolbox as it were and you know it kept a lot of his like it it didn't seem like a completely different film or anything like that like obviously it's his best film but i didn't think it was like night and day in terms of like the ideas he's trying to communicate and stuff like that and like i think that's one of the biggest things about it and like even he expressed surprise is that like how well the themes translate and you know reading into the fact that Korea is just like the UK and just like what I know of most countries in that they have a overeducated, underemployed sector of young people, very high housing, and thus no one can afford to live anywhere. Everyone's got useless degrees because we all got told to go to uni, but now everyone's been to uni, that's useless. And yeah, you just spend your 20s struggling to get work. Uh, and no one can afford to buy a house, and it's great. Yeah. Um, we all live in a ca- same country called capitalism, as he yeah. said. So there's all there's all kinds of like great little things. That obviously, are like very cultural references, like the frequent references to the to the the cake shop that they all opened and stuff like that. And like watching it the first time, I was like, did they work in the same cake shop when they're like <laughs> they actually know each other? But no, it was just this point in South Korea where like this type of cake became so massively popular that everyone was like, fuck, quickly, open up a cake shop, they're going to create a massive boom for it, and then... The bubble burst. Everyone, <laughs> just, yeah, the bubble burst, and just... They all had to shut down and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, like, I spent most of this year watching all of his movies. Like, I think the only one that I didn't re-watch this year that I'd seen before was Okja. Mm-hmm. But, like, I rewatched Snowpiercer, which is probably the closest movie in his filmography to this, just in terms of, like the class and economic commentary mm-hmm. but obviously very different kind of like genre lenses where Snowpiercer is like an action movie whereas this is more of a like slow burn yeah twisty thriller yeah and you know hopefully the parasite tv show will be better than the Snowpiercer tv show <laughs> intrigued to see what they do for a second when i was watching the end of this movie i was sat there going like is it going to be like the idea of like a western family just moves into this house yeah have they confirmed then, like, if it's going to be like retold with white people essentially or just he's gonna make it serialized with asian people i don't know if it's gonna be one of those things where like it's got the name parasite but it's just kind of let's Mm. take a different view on like this kind of culture right and just over to america i don't know if it's gonna be that kind of thing or he said like the the history of like the previous owner of the house and the housekeeper and stuff will be explored more and sort of what she's doing in between scenes but that could easily be like of this set of people or like in a my translated version sort of thing yeah. the thing is like if they if they come out and say because obviously like and before we get into like, the movie proper like the house that they built for this mm. and all the rest of it god just it's such a good set like in the same way that handmaiden is such a good fucking set like the house in this is incredible yeah and it feels icky to compare them because it's just like oh look both the korean films are the same but like there are a lot of similarities 
and yeah like you know the class tale the like poor people conning the rich people the like surprisingly sort of frank handling of sex and stuff like that like yeah it, it was it's cool in the same way and like yeah the these this grand set this you know building one floor of a house and then cgiing the roof on top and everything yeah it's very very cool it's a it's a dystopian wet dream of a house but yeah <laughs> i think it's just interesting because obviously like i think it is a style of south korean movie which has obviously become very popular and bong joon ho and park chan wook are like the two faces of that and have yeah. been bubbling and bubbling and bubbling for so long like people have been talking about uh, mother and the host and memories of murder for for a while and then in the same way that people were talking about Old Boy and a lot of his movie, and Park Chan Wook's movies from like the 2000s. And then I feel like in the late 2010s, when both Handmaiden and Parasite and then Burning as well, they started to be this kind of like, I don't want to say like mainstream acceptance of South Korean movies, but they definitely became like, a, no, 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 we really need to talk about the movies that this country makes because they're really fucking good. Yeah. Well, I certainly would like to watch more of them in the future. So, yeah. But I think we need to let's start off with the fact that this movie wins Best Picture in 2019. So Matthew, what were the 2019 Best Picture nominees? Yeah, first time ever a foreign language film won, uh, and I think the first time a foreign language film won a Best Original Screenplay since the 90s. Um, but in terms of Best Picture, Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker. Little Women, <laughs> Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and the winner, Parasite. Bong Joon-ho also wins Best Director, taking down Martin Scorsese, Sam Mendes, Quentin Tarantino, and some dumb fuck who made Joker. Yeah, and he made his Oscars kiss, and it was a delightful moment. <laughs> yeah, the fact that we came, like, obviously, like, everyone was expecting him to win, like, international feature. Of course. I feel like the, the first moment that people were like, oh shit, where is this going? is, like, when he wins original screenplay. Yeah. And I think the, everyone was like, this will go to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or this will go to to whatever. And I think that's what everyone was like, oh, shit, there's momentum here. Yeah. Do you remember Joker stands were, like, trying to argue it shouldn't even be allowed to be nominated because there's a separate category for Best International? It's like, just calm the fuck down. There is no universe where Joker was going to win the Oscar. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't even the favourite. Like the fact that the race all along was nineteen seventeen, mm. which is like this aggressive like director showcase that would have won Sam Mendes his second best director Oscar. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of people predicted it was gonna go, was the last few years has very much been a split between who wins best director and who wins best picture. So you, last year you had um obviously Alfonso Cuaron wins Baroma for director, and then Best Picture went to to Green Book. And that kind of trend has gone on La La Land, Moonlight, and all these other things throughout the years. So everyone was kind of saying, like, Parasite has got a shot of winning Best Picture, but there's no way that Bong wins director against mm -hmm. Sam Mendes, who's done, like, this huge single-take movie set in World War One and blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, that like, seems like a layup for an Oscar. <laughs> but again, it becomes that problem where, like, when we talk about these things, it's quite often most acting or most directing yes. or most whatever ends up winning out over these kind of things and like it is annoying to see that like production design doesn't go to Parasite because I think this movie has a better production design than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood even though yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood also has like a fantastic recreation of a house from like well, I, I, think, I think they love to see like a 
historically accurate, painstaking recreation, you know, like a Fincher-esque, like, moment in time type of thing. Can I just say, it's a fucking travesty, none of these actors got nominations. Um, oh, absolutely. Like, even, even if anyone probably... Like Song Kang Ho would have been my pick. I also mm. have the daughter yeah, is the Kit, one I would uh, choose. Park So Down. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's she was so excellent. Good. Yeah, it's just yeah, she's got real like that person. It, it's cool to know that type of person exists on the other side of the globe. You know, like you, you don't need to understand what she. I mean, you know, you've got the subtitles. I'm just saying, like her mannerisms and her attitude are very familiar to like western cinema and stuff like that and yeah it's cool <laughs> looking at that best actor category like i i don't like the yokwe phoenix performance but like i know he did no the most acting <laughs> but yeah that's the thing is like i think antonio banderas is stunning in pain and glory i think adam driver is great in marriage story and then i also do like jonathan price and leonardo dicaprio so it's like hmm. i can see why you struggle but also Song Kang Ho is like one of my five favorite performances of the year. I did completely forget that Joaquin Phoenix won the Oscar, and I'm kind of mad right now. Like when I was scrolling down to read these, I was like, "Why is Joaquin on the ro- oh fuck's sake?" Whatever. He glorified a murder man. I guess it's like, look, what more do you want? We gave you best picture, best director, best screenplay, best foreign movie. But you know, was it like a bridge too far to then? throw the actors in there as well and you know i think you see you see the those like brutally honest oscar ballots come out and quite often people will go like well i don't speak the language so i don't know whether or not the performance is good fucking hell. like if i if, oh if my I fucking understand... god that's like the exact opposite of what oh my god. if i don't know what words they're saying and how they're saying it then how do i know the performance is actually good what voice be... acting like that's that's one aspect of a performance that's the whole point that like I, I actually thought about, what if I watch this movie with the subtitles off and just see what I think of it and then watch it again? And I was like, I don't have the time and it will take out any surprise sort of thing. But, you know, <laughs> that's acting. Like, they could just be reading the phone book but emoting and some people can make that work. And, oh, fucking hell. The Oscars yeah. are a parasite. <laughs> I mean, I mean... I will say that Parasite does win the SAG Award for Best Ensemble, which is something I wish sure. would come over to the Oscars. Yeah, and obviously, like Best Ensemble is very similar to winning Best Picture, but obviously it means that you can have these movies where like maybe there isn't that one standout performance, or maybe mm. like it, it's a struggle to you split the vote or whatever. Mm. Get a bit more recognition. But then like we've had three huge ensemble movies in a row. <laughs> like Knives Out, yes. Little Women, Parasite. That's that's a hard category. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think all three of them are like superb in different ways. Yeah. And it depends really on like what you're feeling yeah. at that point in time. But you can hear our thoughts on both of those by just going back in time a couple of weeks and, and re-listening to those episodes. Yes, can. Mm. So I got the weird case of play I didn't see this in cinema when it came out in the UK. Oh, I yeah. Um, do you want to go ahead and justify why this sneaks into the 2019 uh, release schedule? Because so, didn't it yeah. not come out until 2020? It comes out in 2020. It comes out February 2020 in the UK. Obviously, out in America, firmly in the middle of the year. It's out in South Korea even before that. I managed to sneak in and saw it on December 9th 
in the UK at the first UK screening of the movie, or the second UK screening of the movie. Bong Joon-ho and Song Kang-ho came out and did a little introduction for the movie. Mm. It was great. It cost like £30 to get a ticket to go see it. Eh, that's the, that's, the that's a that... rental of Mulan. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I paid that. I think yeah. it says like, how much I enjoyed seeing it in cinema and like being legitimately shocked. Um, did they do a Q and A or anything but, afterwards, or just no? They did a Q and A. They did a Q and A for the earlier performance. Ah. So they were like two back to back, and it was like by the time they started the movie for us, it was like ten pm. Mm, yeah, <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> no one wants that. So it was very much like if we we couldn't get tickets for the first screening, if we had, we would have got to see that. But then we wouldn't have got seen Honey Boy beforehand. Ah, well, tr- true. I don't know if that's a. <laughs> That would have been a loss or not. I know you like it. Uh. <laughs> yeah, Honey Boy's nice. But yeah, so this movie came out February uh, in the UK. Matt, how did it do at the UK box office? Okay, uh, so of its eventual $258.5 million gross worldwide, which pretty good, just over $14.5 million, and that came from the UK. And in its first weekend, it made $1.8 million, which that's pretty strong. Not enough to get it even in the top three for the weekend, unfortunately, as it comes behind Doolittle, <laughs> Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, and 1917, uh, but it does beat out Bad Boys for Life, The Personal History of David Copperfield, Kinky Boots the Musical, hell yeah, Jumanji the Next Level, The Gentleman and Little Women. Uh, so, yeah, only the third highest new movie, uh, and only good enough for fourth so, but it does yeah. have the highest by theatre average. Sure. Yes, it does. Like, like, I, it, I like, see that it's right there. Yeah. It's only in 137 theatres, because obviously, no matter what happens, I, th- I mean, I think they do expand it. I think it does have the Oscar nomination by this point. But no matter which way you cut it, it's a South Korean 15 rated in the UK movie starring no one that's recognisable <laughs> in the UK. Well, yeah, like, compared to Doolittle, which is like the first movie starring Robert Downey Jr. since he's left the Iron Man role. Yeah. Oh, God, how oh, how embarrassing. Made money, though, so I guess fuck everyone. Yeah, like 137 theatres in its opening week. That goes up to 428 for week two and 565 for week three. So, yeah, like it, it grew exponentially. Um, and made more and more money, and then just went away completely. I don't understand this. Why wouldn't you keep it open until it starts losing money? Well, you know why they they closed it on March 15th, Matthew? Is that for Oscar reasons? No, that's because the pandemic started. <laughs> oh yeah, it made, on average, $845 per theatre. <laughs> oh, what a year. It's weird to be reading things from this year. I'm so used to this being a historical thing. Uh, yeah, you can leave that in as well if you want to make me look dumb. <laughs> but yeah, and then, so give me a rundown of how it's done at the worldwide box office for the year. Because obviously this is like a huge success story, really, because mm. in the equivalent in Korea, it's got a budget of about $11.4 million, uh, and it ends up grossing $264.4 million at the worldwide box office. But like, there are like movies from China that do huge numbers, but like this is still a bit more of a, like, it's less of a blockbuster and it still does these kind of bonkers numbers. Uh, yeah, so it's technically listed as a 2019 movie where it was the 30th highest grossing movie of the year, even if I suspect it made a huge chunk of change in not the year 2019. That's where its uh, its numbers go. I guess that's what happened when you release a movie in December kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so 258 to... 
I've got 258 million. I think you said 264, but hey, different sources. But that puts it just below Terminator Dark Fate, which is a truly dark fate. But hey, top 30 in a year when you've got Disney, like, fucking up cinema with Endgame, The Lion King, Frozen, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, Star Wars 9, Toy Story 4, Aladdin. Oh my god, that's literally 8 of the top 10. Yeah, so to to come in at number 30 like that, I think is, is pretty good going. Beats out Us, Men in Black, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Glass, many more films. Little Women. Yeah. It, it, and it's funny, like, you look at this top 30 and you can see Asian cinema, and obviously, like, a lot of the movies that are doing bonk and dump, bonkers numbers are, like, Nezar, The Wandering Earth, mm. My People, My Country, The Captain. They're all, like, you look at the grosses in America, it's like 0.2%, 0.6%, 0.5%, And all of their money is coming from China because, like, China has built up this, like, hugely, like, massive blockbuster campaign that only really play in their country and all the rest of it that are a little bit, obviously, because it's China, a little bit jingoistic. And, <laughs> like, it feels like the kind of movies they make are all Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, look how great we are. <laughs> We stopped the fucking sun going out. Yeah. <laughs> then Affleck played golf. And have, yeah, and then you have Parasite, which is just this like ringing like indictment of <laughs> of capitalist society and the rich mm-hmm. and everything like that. And it ends up winning Best Picture. And Bong Joon Ho is welcomed home like a hero when he wins the Oscar. Yep, making his Oscars kiss and saying things like Americans are too dumb to read and stuff like that. <laughs> All excellent points made by him. Uh, And I I feel like he was like, yeah, I don't really care about the Oscars. And then he won them anyway. And it was like, ah, well. (laughs) A hero. Just a nice man. A nice man who makes good movies. I'm excited to see what he does next. And that's the kind of behaviour that makes you the only best picture movie covered by There Will Be Movies. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Favouritism. Yes. (laughs) Right. Let's actually discuss the core of this movie. So we open with the Kim family who live in, like, this shitty semi-basement apartment. Mm -hmm. Like, they can see the street at, like, eye level if they stand up in front of them. Like, and they're basically just dealing with, like, just this intense economic despair where they're, like, folding pizza boxes to, like, earn a little bit of money. And the person upstairs has put a password on their Wi-Fi, so they're, like, trying to figure out either what the password is or if they can, like, leech off of a coffee shop's Wi-Fi down the street. (laughs) yeah seeing them up on their weird little pedestal toilet in the corner just trying to get the wi-fi together so they can hear back about this job and everything and i really like the moment with um you know they're fumigating and it's like oh close the windows like no no no, leave it open we get it for free and then they're all like choking to death and the father is just like getting on with it and folding pizza boxes and, and, and I know, love that we watching... are we are gathered to celebrate the return of our Wi-Fi and stuff. Like that. And I love that they're watching this video of this woman like folding the boxes like super well, and they're going like, "I'm going to try and do it." And then when they show up to take some of the boxes, they're like, you, "You've not done it right at all." <laughs> and you get the feeling that it's all the dad's boxes because they're like a quarter of them are terrible. It's because he's doing like the different fucking... technique, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with confidence. I like the degree to which people just look at things on their phone and Google things, and you know, it feels very real like you know you see i'm just thinking of like the amazing spider-man's where like he bing searches once per movie and it's <laughs> it's all clearly done in post and it's weird and and it's over the top and in this it's, it feels far more true to life where it's like hey we're doing something i'll watch a youtube video on how to do it kind of thing 
Um, I, I am intrigued because I know that Bong Joon-ho oversaw the translation of this movie, and mm-hmm. so there's a few things which like are designed to be known by like Western li- viewers and stuff like that. So yes, cacao talk they... becomes WhatsApp. Yes, yes, that is them. that's what I was going to say. It's like they translate it into things that we know. Obviously, later on, he's supposed to. They're supposed to be posing as like a student of Yonsei University, but instead they change it to Oxford, or like re- there's a reference to Oxford University that's basically supposed to say like. Look, Western world. This is the equivalent yes. university that you would you would realize, essentially. Yeah, I think the translator uh, Darcy Packett said that, like, you know, comedy is hard enough, and if you're stopping to just like not know what words are, it completely ruins it. So, like, it's it's just an easier time if if we swap out some terms for ones that you know. And like I think they do the same with the noodle dish. They call it Ramdon, ram, ram which is is not a thing. <laughs> um, I mean, what they make is a thing, but it, it's they are changing the name to something that sounds a little bit more logical, like a mashup of ramen and udon. Yeah, it also tastes really good because like people have like made the recipe online, and it's like mm. yeah, this tastes good. Obviously, I don't think I've ever seen a cut of meat as nice as the sirloin that they use <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. So so they're struggling long trying to earn this money, and then the son of the family, Kim Ki Woo, mm. uh, played by Choi Woo Sheik, uh, his friend comes along who's just just gone to university, and basically he brings a scholar's rock, which is like a thing in Korea that is basically like you take a piece of land and you collect them and it's very much meant for people who are in education and are going to be seeking wealth afterwards and it basically just says like look this guy's got more money than this family right. um, but the reason he's come around is that he is leaving to study abroad whilst at university and he wants his friend to start taking over his tutoring job of this very rich family who he's like su- such an easy markup with yeah. like you can go take care of her because I trust that you're not going to bang the daughter because <laughs> I'm also banging her. Yeah, he wants to park her with uh, with a safe friend, and then he does end up, if not banging her, like they certainly have a romance going on. Just, I mean, again, this is when you start to see the like some of the comedy stuff that they're doing. Yeah, and, and again, we talked talked about this in Hamlet, where like there's a nice there's a very strong balancing of kind of like the comedy and and all these other little bits and pieces because like when the friend arrives there's the guy pissing on the street because he's so drunk <laughs> yeah and they start getting into like all this slapstick stuff yeah yeah so they have to fake his credentials because while he is a smart kid like I, he hasn't he isn't actually in a university you know lord knows how the sister has acquired the various skills and contacts she has but yeah they go to like essentially a starcraft cafe <laughs> or you know an internet cafe but a lot of people are playing games on them uh and they just fake some paperwork for him. <laughs> yeah and off he yeah. goes and she immediately is like i don't care about people <laughs> Yeah, so he goes to this family home, which is in like the nice part of town. It's up some steps. He's got to buzz in, glass doors everywhere, and like the movie does so many like things immediately, where like they walk you around the house, and so immediately when he comes into this 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 house, like the movie is showing you how everything fits together. You know how the rooms are interconnected, and just immediately so much great character work from everyone involved. Where the mother is like. Slightly, I don't know. How do they describe her? It's like they say she's simple. <laughs> she's simple, but very much that kind of thing where, like, 
maybe she went to university and then has never had to use her brains whatsoever because her husband is just earning enough money that she can sit at home and be a, a not even a lady of leisure it's just like she just seems to exist in this household yes and like later on they're like she's nice because she's rich sort of thing where it's like she doesn't have a care in the world all of her wants and needs are met what a fun time <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. just like seeing him react to the house like every every room is larger than their whole or it's not a house you know like basement flat yeah just staggering to see this damn house uh like the the fridge full of the like designer bottled water and all this shit so yeah. good <laughs> and his like teaching of the daughter where he doesn't even seem to teach her anything he just gives her this like vaguely motivational speech and she's just completely bowled over by like what he's saying to her daughter where it's like never go back on an exam pretend you're running through the jungle slashing away at the questions yes keep the momentum going i thought he was starting to give my advice in exams but then he gave the opposite of like if you hit question you don't know the answer to move on and come back to it just get through the whole thing and then come back around but no he's just like no just keep answering questions never stop and he holds her wrist in an erotic way if you're a teenager, I suppose. Yeah. I could feel your heartbeat. And yeah. Like, oh, swoon. <laughs> My an older man is paying attention to me. Well, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. And then gets his sister a job. Yeah, gets his sister a job because he finds out that the son is a budding artist and <laughs> just the fantastic scene of them staring at the picture and him going, ah, oh, is it a, a chimpanzee? And it's like, no, it's a self-portrait and just and that that moment just gets to pass by, you know, that she's not like, um, no, it's a self-portrait. She goes, it's a self-portrait. And he's like, ah. And then just keep rolling with it. it. It reminded me of, like, Wes Anderson with, like, the, you know, the shit art that they act as if it is, it's amazing. And I feel we watched something else in this in this volume. Where Handmaiden they, had the shit art. Well, Handmaiden like no one had the shit art as well, yes. And, yeah, they're just poring over these terrible child drawings. Well, they're not even terrible, it's just this is a typical child's drawing, and she thinks it means he's a genius. Yeah, because it's like, look at this, he must be talented because I don't, like, they keep up, like, the reference later on the movie where, like, the sister's just, like, he just stops and stares at the sun for a little bit and then will act like he's had like a great moment of inspiration and it's like it's not because he's smart it's because he's like really dumb yes <laughs> the exact opposite of what you think but you're rich so you think your child is special um, yeah he manages to get his sister involved she is jessica from illinois chicago who is oh, like, the little phonetic the... uh or the mnemonic device with the hand i kind of remember it already and i saw it like three hours ago but you know jessica illinois chicago like yeah, yeah, yeah. so good so that is so that, that that got them in trouble actually oh because the tune to it is based on a song that they teach uh, all Korean school children, which is basically a song about some islands that are heavily contested in between Korea and Japan. Oh dear. Both sides claim that they have control over that set of islands and stuff like that, but this is just a very popular song that like everyone in Korea knows that's basically just like, fuck Japan, we own the islands. Is it is it like Falklands East kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, sort of. And okay. I remember like after this after this movie came out, I saw a couple of like Japanese people who I follow on social media were sat there going like, How can we embrace this South Korean propaganda, like the anti Japanese rhetoric of this movie? And it's like there are so many leaps you are doing here mm-hmm. to get to this point. It's more about it being a big cultural touchstone, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like like people in Korea will know the tune to that and understand what they're doing and probably get a kick out of it. Hmm. They're probably not thinking, ha fuck Japan. 
Yes. The kid also is super into Native American stuff, and I did look into this a little bit because I was a little bit worried, and it is very much on purpose that, like, it is a comment on them being rich people who don't care about other people. You know, like, they are boiling down a culture to a kid running around shooting an arrow and wearing a headdress and they use the word Indians and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's just another way in which they are just so oblivious to the outside world and they've sort of fetishized America. Um, I feel this is a thing as well, like in East Asia, particularly places where the British Empire has been, rich people love English things or, and by extension, English-speaking places. And it's like, yay. <laughs> and I, I, I also just really like the idea that this dirt poor guy learned... English by himself and yet this rich lady's daughter needs help like I mean if he was able to do it why can't you kind of thing um, well yeah that's the, whole, that's the whole point is they say that like he's taken he's done his like military service because obviously in, in Korea you have to do military service once you reach a certain age of the man fun, and fun, then fun. yeah and then he's also done like college entrance exams um, I don't know if they ever say the reason is because like he isn't smart enough to get to university I think he says he doesn't test well like basically the advice he's giving her is from his own experience well <laughs> you could take it as he's giving a fucking terrible advice because he doesn't <laughs> test well himself and that you shouldn't just keep hacking through the jungle and it could be that my advice is better but you know yeah i think it's gonna be uh weirdly enough i watched the first episode of suits but the korean version <laughs> Okay. And and that's a similar thing where there's this thing where I'm super smart but I don't test well and I don't know why that came to my brain I guess Korean and exams but hey here you go. But I mean you find that in the UK as well where like we get to this point and it feels like only recently have we been able to get away from this kind of thing where like mm. if you're not good at classical subjects yeah. you kind of get abandoned by the educational system at a certain point. Yes, the over emphasis on the holy trinity of subjects which then becomes even that like english gets discarded once you hit a university level and it isn't respected anymore and it's like oh it's not a science though is it yeah um, having having recently been reading giant day's comic book about like three girls at uk universities the amount of jokes they make about one of the characters english degree mm-hmm. uh, including one line where it's just like can i get a good job with doing an english degree and it's like yeah sure you can it just won't be related to it whatsoever yeah. which really stings when you work in finance and you have an english degree i'm sure it does <laughs> like, like i am doing nothing to do with my degree no one is that's what i'm saying we all go we all get one it's fucking useless and we end up doing excel spreadsheets all day every day forever but that's just life i have a i have a friend who's in publishing and another friend who's in actual like i'm in publishing i do excel spreadsheets all the time this is true I have budgets that would you burn it all to the ground. I was very i was very into like burn it all to the ground at the end of this movie and i'm back again burn it all yeah capitalism was a mistake um, but yeah uh, i love this where she basically jessica or or, or park so Dam, kim kim ki jung just endless names being poured at you she basically takes complete control in the way that in the way that kim ki woo kind of like kind of acquiesces to the mother uh, she's just like you can't watch me do this i'm gonna boss you around and she's immediately like figured out how to get the kids to do whatever she wants yeah, they they talk about her being like such a good actress and like, you know, she's really assertive and they mention later on that she is like a side gig attends weddings as like a friend, I guess, for people that don't have any friends. <laughs> and like it's an extra fifty dollars if you catch the bouquet and stuff like that. Yeah. So like she's just she's a better con man, basically. Um and 
you know, just like I will not have a parent in the room, and and yeah. like just the way she makes up the thing where like she brings down some art that he drew and is just like this black spot here. It means that like he's repressing something really, really dark. And then there's one on the other one, and... <laughs> and like the mother is just like, oh my god, what are you talking about? And then she just manages to bullshit her way into guessing that something traumatic happened to the son. Yeah, she says I googled art therapy, and then just bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> And like yeah, and I just I kind of want to see what she's actually like. Is she just playing with the kid for an hour and then just like yeah, draw something, whatever, shh, while I watch stuff on my phone? I think I think that is like every single scene when she is in the room later on is just like the kid's in her lap and he's drawing something and it's just like she's not doing anything, she's not talking. It's just like this kid is drawing pictures and she's watching him draw pictures. Yeah, and, and it's she's... and it starts off as like you know he's got promise as an artist so she's going to come and be his art teacher and then she is able to talk her way into a bigger price because she claims she's also doing art therapy so that that adds to the price tag and then obviously this is the point where we meet the father he comes in late from work and and we also get to meet the chauffeur which is when they start making like jessica starts to make the the second step of her plan which was basically they're intending to bring the entire family to work for this this other family <laughs> by systematically getting everyone involved fired. Yeah, like the first two are relatively harmless. Like they are he was legitimately recommended by the tutor. You know, the tutor is his friend. He is like I would rather you did it than these people that they would want essentially. And like part of it is he thinks he's like a meek guy that won't fuck his girlfriend, but I think he also does think he'd be a better tutor, and he does seem like he can vaguely do it. And then Jessica comes in, and that's a made-up position. But it's at this point we're getting people fired, and like they will lament briefly on like, "Oh, I'm sure he got a better job." And it's like, mm, "Did he? Or is he hanging from a from the rafters somewhere?" Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's the most fucked up thing, and it's something that I've seen become a very leftist critique of the movie. I've mm-hmm. seen not so much from like I think obviously this movie's got almost universal acclaim from pretty much everyone who's seen it. But there is a strand of like leftist critic who sat there going like I don't like this movie because it doesn't show class solidarity. <laughs> I mean Which I think is like I think is a very naive kind of opinion yeah. where it's like I think this movie needs to portray a world in which people on the lower economic strata work together to overthrow capitalism and it's like that's not what the movie's saying. The movie is very much about this. There are scraps, and you force people in the lower economic strata to fight over scraps, essentially. Yeah, that's literally what capitalism is designed to do. Is it, you drive a market, and like the rich people get richer while the poor people are crawling over each other for the scraps. And it's yeah, and like you know, Bong spoke about the marketing team were a bit iffy about calling it Parasite because of the connotation that, like, oh, poor people are leeches and they've, like, wormed their way in of this poor, innocent, rich family. And it's like, but then there is that secondary meaning of, like, you know, the rich people are fucking waste layabouts who can't do anything for themselves and, like, look down on poor people and, and can't lift a finger and, and, yeah, all this. And, like, that they yeah. are getting rich off of exploiting labour, probably. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't actually know. What does the father do? He works for, like, a, an IT company called Another Brick in the Wall. It's like, oh, oh, it's called Another Brick. It's a reference to the Pink Floyd song. Yeah, yeah. But it is very much kind of you don't really find out what he does. He just works in this, like, nebulous tech yeah. sphere, and then he doesn't lift a finger. Like, they've got a house person to, like, do all the cooking and the shopping and, yep. and taking care of the children, and they've got a chauffeur to drive them places. Yep. Yeah, and they're shitty people. It's like, you know, at various points you're like, right, I'm rooting for this family. 
oh wait, actually this is kind of fucked up now. Oh wait, I'm back on their side. Oh wait, at no point was I ever on the side of the rich people. Like very briefly I was like, oh, this kind of sucks for them. But then it's like, ah, you know what? They're pretty shitty people, especially the, the father. The movie does this fantastic balancing up. Like you like watching every single person in this movie, but your loyalties kind of keep on flipping where you're like, where until ultimately you get to like that, that climax. And you're kind of like, I don't know who I want to come out on top in this situation. I just know that everyone probably does need to be punished in some way for the horrific things that have gone on. Yeah. But yeah, so Jessica decides, like, she gets offered a lift home with this, like, what seems like just quite a nice driver. I don't think he's actually coming on to her. I think he was a tiny bit, because when she <laughs> says boyfriend, he looks like a sad panda. Um. <laughs> but, yeah. like, yeah, she, like, rebuffs him from, like, dropping off at home and instead just says, like, drop me off at the, the station I want to get off at. And then in the middle of this is just, like, fuck it, I'm going to take my underwear off, leave them in this car. And, and then the, the the rich people jump to some real conclusions that work out in their favour, but hey. I mean, again, I love I love everything to that. She leaves her underwear in the car and like tells her family that they're like progressing this much further and basically I've left a bomb in the car and start asking dad whether or not he can drive a car and in, like whether or not he's ever driven Benzes and all the rest of it. Well, isn't uh, it like he was a valet? Yeah, he's been a, he was a valet for a while and they're like talking about all his missed jobs, which is when they start bringing up like the cakes and mm-hmm him working at all these other places i just you know like i i focused on that valet bit and like when he remarks on how good his cornering is i was like well of course when you're just driving around around car parks like that's excellent practice for your cornering yeah it's like at some point it's like would they not be a bit weirded out it's like hmm, we've taken on four new staff in a month that seems a bit <laughs> abnormal but hey hello <laughs> i mean I, I don't think they think about it that exactly. way I, I do like that when they sit down and celebrate as a family they're like how much percentage of their like monthly wages come into our household now? Like how much? <laughs> yeah. But uh, the scene where he finds the underwear in the car and then like brings them home to his wife and just like the complete reticence of any of them to touch the underwear. <laughs> she gets a glove and then and then like she covers her mouth and then realizes she's just touched the underwear, so takes it away, puts her hand back, puts it away. Excellent stuff. The, yeah, just some of the mental gymnastics they're doing, and he's just sort of like, why my car? Why my seat? He's crossing the line, and then they start basically inferring about... Well, he must be a pervert. Why is he not doing it in a hotel? He's doing it because he's a cheapskate, therefore he must be like wanting the money. Who leaves a who leaves a underwear in the car? Like, you have to be pretty out of it to not do it. Therefore she's on meth or cocaine. Yeah, he's, dr- he's potentially assaulting them. Like It's like, <laughs> Jesus, guys. Um, and then, you know, very cleverly, again, like, they go to a showroom to look at a Benz so that he can pretend he's very familiar with the car and, like, the son is looking up some of the functions on his phone. And, yeah, it just feels very true to life. And, like, you know, it, it's that thing of, like, taking advantage of, like, you know, free samples, free tours, that kind of stuff, doing what you can for your budget kind of thing so that he fits in and he, he fits the role a lot better. And I, I like that he keeps talking about... He, he says it throughout the movie, like people not crossing the line and then he's like yeah so you love your wife right and it's like jesus christ dude <laughs> like he's very chatty in a way that it's like you're the one that's gonna blow this of the four of you he does blow it but my favorite little bit of like physical humor in this stretch is when jessica comes downstairs and they're discussing the underwear and the car and all the rest of it and they've got the underwear and the piece and the envelope on the table and like they just immediately when she comes in just like throw it on the floor and have to like <laughs> rush it away Yes. 
again, I, I love that they think about those kind of things. It feels like something that's lost in a lot of American movies where like these little bits of like in-frame humor get lost because humor is done in comedy movies and humor is now so much based around verbal ad-libbing and improv. But I think now we hit probably like my favorite sustained mini sequence in the movie is this one here. Getting the housekeeper fired. Getting the housekeeper fired yeah. is is just wonderful. Why would you pick tuberculosis? <laughs> like, uh... It's so it's so involved. So basically, mm-hmm. like they find out from the daughter that they're not allowed peaches in the house uh, because the housekeeper is like deathly, deathly allergic to peaches. So they come up with this scheme to give her an outbreak of her peach vi- of her peach allergy and then photograph her going to see the doctor and then pretending that she has tuberculosis. Yes. <laughs> and just the degree of like, oh, excuse me, this I was taking a selfie for my wife, and is this your housekeeper? Oh, I thought so. Just like the degree to which he lays it on is so thick, and I love seeing them practising it, and he, his instinct was to go even bigger with this, and like, no, 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 <laughs> like, don't be so emotional. You're not doing an actual play. You're talking to a person. <laughs> yeah, like the whole intercutting it with them practicing it as a family and like everyone. I think my favorite little beat in this is when all of the family are doing his lines at the same time because they've obviously listened to him rehearse this so often. <laughs> so they're all like acting along with him. Yeah. Uh, like just the most random little things where like who knows off the top of their head that South Korea has the most cases of TB in all OCED countries in the world. Me now. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then the hot sauce. Uh, like, they give her another outbreak so that she'll, like, cough and splutter and leave. And then, like, he spills hot sauce into the tissues and is like, look, blood in the... Like, come on. <laughs> I just remember seeing this in cinema and, like, bursting into laughter. Like, obviously, this is a horrible, horrible, disgusting thing that they're doing to this woman. This woman who... We, we haven't mentioned yet, has been at the household for longer than the Park family have yes. lived there. She was the, the original housekeeper of the person who actually constructed the building and was recommended to stay on because of him. Yeah. And they basically, because she's got TB and because she's around children, they fire her without much like hesitation whatsoever. Yeah, and like you say like it's, it's this horrible thing and it's like it's that kind of thing where it's like it's so farcical that I almost didn't feel bad. Where I started feeling bad for her was when the husband is like, he's craving braised ribs. And it's like, yeah, the housekeeper made really good ribs. And that, and like, I can't think why I want them. And it's like, oh, that's why. And like, that's when it's like, oh, this is a human person that you've taken out of their lives. More of that, like crossing the line. And, you know, he keeps turning around. Like he, he swears when he gets like cut off by someone. And it's like, you know, you would think like a, potentially he's expected to just be a little bit more graceful. And then, you know, eyes on the road, please, kind of thing. It's like, yeah, his desire to be so chatty is 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 funny. Like, <laughs> it's it's almost like he sees himself as his equal. Yeah, but like the father keeps like putting him into place. Yeah, and he's like, like oh, I've made it. I'm I'm a I'm in high society with a rich man, and we're best friends now. It's like, no, no, no. He he views you all as the help. <laughs> I think yeah, I think that's like my favorite like subtle thing that just keeps on building and building over the course of the movie is just. Each time they think they're getting closer and have a level footing with these people, they keep on having these little reminders that they're the help. Like, mm-hmm. right down to the, the birthday party they're planning at the end where the mother is calling everyone in the Kim family. And, like, it isn't a request or, like, it isn't as friends. It's like, you're an employee. 
we're going to count this as a day where you're working, we'll pay you to be there. Yeah, and he's like, you know, you, this is, we are paying you extra, this is part of your duties, like, stop judging this little thing you're being made to do that's quite demeaning. The fruit platter, and they get to have peaches now, so the daughter's extra happy, it's all going well. And It is, yeah, all, all four Kim family are now working for the Park family, so you've got all eight of these people under the household for, like, long stretches of time. Yeah. Uh, which obviously all comes to a head when the Park family decides to celebrate their son's birthday. They're going to go away on a camping trip mm-hmm. and, and take him away. And the Kim's just like, fuck yes, we're going to live in the big house for, <laughs> for a couple of days. And they just go ham and they're just like, all the booze, all the fucking fanciest booze in the world, all this food, let's just pretend that we're rich. Yeah, and, it's, and it's, it's that thing of like, do you assume that they're so rich they don't keep track of how much they have? Or are you going to, like, f- fill some of these bottles back up with water or something, or, or buy cheap alternatives and they won't know the difference, they just assume it's good because it costs more, like, yeah, and I think maybe my favourite moment in the whole movie is, what a scam- scumbag, how could you read her diary? And then she just takes the diary and starts reading it herself. <laughs> like... Oh, what a messy bitch! I love her. <laughs> she, yeah, she's so good. I, I love. I, I love. Obviously, this is one of the like famous scenes in the movie because it's all very much made to look like one shot. And obviously, yeah. there are cuts in here, but like it very much is focusing on different members of the family as they just get progressively drunker mm. and kind of like almost like they're being infected by this wealth because they start getting like very snipey and in yeah. the background. <laughs> Like, Jessica sat there just drinking on this very expensive bottle of whiskey. And she's, like, almost cradling it like a baby with a bottle. <laughs> like, and then she ends up realising that she's eating dog treats as well. She's so drunk. <laughs> uh, but, you know, expensive dog treats are probably actually fine and good. 95% meat is like, well, it's basically jerky then, isn't it? Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh yeah. But yeah, this this seems great. Like obviously like all in the background there's this huge storm going on, there's lightning striking every so often, they're all just getting drunker, the Mr. Kim and his wife get into a like a faux fight at one point. Yeah. Um she also like pushes the dog away a little bit. I was like, hmm, like don't be mean to well, dog. I remember watching this movie in the cinema and being obviously having no clue what's happening, and this scene is very much about building tension. Yeah. Like, there's an awful lot of tension going on in this scene, and I was kind of sat there the entire time kind of going, like, when is the shoe going to drop? What's going to happen? What is the, like... Are they going to kill each other? Are they going to kill a dog? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Something is going to happen, because everyone talks about, like, the midway point of this movie, something terrible happening. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, you're obviously going in with different contexts and stuff like that, but I was sat there throughout the scene going, like, something is going to happen. Well, I mean, you assume they're going to come home early, because like, the whole time through, it's like, okay, you're having a great fun time, and you think you've got time to tidy up, but what if they just decide to come home? And that does happen, but that is not the thing that is <laughs> so bad. No, the thing that happens is the, the old housekeeper rings the doorbell and basically demands to be pulled into the house and then makes her way to a secret underground bunker that no one who lives there or works there has any clue exists and finds her husband who's been emaciated because he hasn't been fed in several days. Mm-hmm. Basement Captain man. <laughs> the visual of her, like, and, like, the son will do it as well, where, like, you know, feet on the wall, hands on the, the cabinet trying to move it, butt in the air, just kind of wedged in there. It's like, it's such a weird thing to walk into the room and see, and... She's very much like, oh, I've left something in the basement, can I get it? 
and then yeah that reveal that there is a secret sub basement and yeah like and she knew that this was happening because she she knew the house was empty because she still texts the son which again like there's the sort of sad undertone here they got this lady fired who's worked here for longer than the people have owned the house and has this relationship with all of them like the father misses her cooking she's still texting the boy all of this her husband is in the fucking basement she was prepared to pay them when like it's been like days so she surely doesn't have another job lined up he clearly doesn't have any money because he's hiding from fucking loan sharks that's the thing it's like yeah he's hiding from loan sharks because multiple businesses kind of like went under so he's in a very similar situation to to mr kim Mm -hmm. and it's that reveal that like you know they think they're the poor people conning the rich people and 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 living off of them and subsisting for them it's like ah but then there's this other set of people that are below even you and yeah and like these competing poor families almost there's just like so the actor who plays this man uh (laughs) park wong hoon is physical presence like the way that he like eats a banana is insane yes he has wild eyes <laughs> he does have wild eyes and they very much put them to use like obviously this movie does a fantastic job of like repeated framings of things yes. so very frequently you'll have like as he said like the scene where they're like trying to push the the shelf so they can get into the basement or just people coming up and down the steps either to the basement or the upstairs of the house they're all framed in very similar ways and really help give the sense of geography but like the scene of him coming up the stairs Oof. that's why i called him basement man i was like basement man is real at the end <laughs> yeah he looks super fucking creepy going up those stairs and that the that like staircase leading down is just super creepy to look at anyway like it's this ornate like I don't even know what what the surrounding it is. It's like brass and copper coloured, and you just have this jet black archway in the middle of it with a staircase. And so even if yeah. even if it wasn't the creepiest looking man in that in the world, just anyone walking up that out of no, you know, just a head emerging from nowhere out of the darkness, like that would just be creepy to anyone. And yeah, so yeah, so so we get like in this point in time, it feels like the housekeeper is very very much trying to be on the good side of Mrs. Kim. Mm-hmm. where she sat there going like we'll give you money just feed him every so often i'll pay for their food i've never stolen from never stolen from the park family like mm-hmm. this is all very much above board he just needs to stay here and then all of the kim family falling down the steps and like calling each other father and, and brother and sister all the rest of it and they're immediately <laughs> just like oh you're doing something far worse than we are oh forget the bribe <laughs> you can start trying to bribe me motherfucker um, making them pose like trees or some or whatever they're supposed to be doing, like you know they're all standing, sitting there with their hands in the air, and they're just having a a very fun time. <laughs> I I just I love the way that the power dynamics keep on shifting, and like the little lines where they're sat there going, like, "I will hit send and send this to the to the Park family if you don't acquiesce to all our demands," and then the brothers just very much like. And there's no signal down here, right? Because we're in a basement. And then he's just like, no, full, full bars, it's fine. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and then just them, like, giving each other back massages and just kind of, like, lording over these people. <laughs> <laughs> and just making a break, you know, just going for it, tackling her down. And, you know, it's four against two. And then, you know, Jessica goes and gets peaches. <laughs> it's like, you know. Which which might be the most sociopathic thing that anyone does in this movie. Because, like, 
we know it's not just like a sneezy allergy. It's like this could kill her. Uh huh. Except and she and sure does seem to shrug it off these two times compared to earlier. But never mind. Adrenaline, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up that she does that, but like you know, smart, I guess. And then the yeah, fucking then... call that. Yeah, can you uh, start making dinner? Because we're eight minutes away. Is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "What the fuck is Ramdar?" <laughs> and then like they have to tidy up and. Um, you know, Jessica cuts herself and hides under the table, the son has to, like, go, you know the shot of, you know, he, he puts the diary back under the bed and then hides under the bed, and then you see, it's like a shot looking down at the bed and you see his hand, like, adjusting the diary box and stuff like that, like yeah, and all of them just scrambling around the house to hide as, as the family come home, and then the kid doesn't yeah, even just, want like... the fucking food <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, like, the food looks great that's yeah. one thing first. The food looks bloody great. Mm-hmm. Um, the score in this section by Jung Jae-il is absolutely superb. Yeah, I think the song of the soundtrack is Battle of Faith, but just like this mad rush to get everything sorted. Like They're tying people up in the basement. They're putting the diary back. They're cleaning up all the stuff that they've cluttered around, including some of the like, full-on bottles that they just smash on the floor, and they're cooking and all of this stuff at the same time. And then... The, the Park family just walking in like nothing has happened whatsoever and I, I just I love how many like nice little reveals are here such as uh, you find out that there's not actually automatic lights in this house <laughs> oh that the was one that... of my favourite moments I was like wait does he think these are motion activated <laughs> and he's just so rich he thinks nothing of that he's like yeah well of course <laughs> the light, yeah and they only work for him I think like there's um basement guy is just like yeah i turn them on for the master because i'm so thankful that he provides for me in his wonderful house of joys yes he's gone mad quite quite mad in the basement <laughs> for four years uh he's been down there um and, uh, and, and that like you know when they're all struggling he's like could you please just let me live here like he's almost like like i don't give a fuck what happens with any of the rest just please don't drag me out of my like uh stockholm syndrome cave <laughs> yeah and then probably the most one of the like or the first big sickening moment of violence, which is also played for laughs, is when Mrs. Kim has just finished cooking the food and the old housekeeper is, like, running up the stairs to come tell them that, like, <laughs> she's in the basement and they're, like, conning her and she just kicks her just down the, the stairs. Just the casual kick. Just, oop, down you go to your possible death. I also like that, like, the housekeeper, she fully acknowledges, like, oh, I'm fucked when I tell her this as well. Like, there's no way of explaining this that doesn't bring you down with her. It's like, we're all going to hell, kind of thing. This becomes just so bad for them, where they've got two people tied up in the basement. Yes. One of whom has had, like, a horrific head injury. Yes. And is also Severely concussed. (laughs) Severely concussed. Also suffering from an allergic reaction to peaches at the same time. Yes. Husband is quite insane. Has eaten nothing but a banana in several days. Uh, um, they also find out that the son was visited by a ghost <laughs> on their birthday a couple of years ago, which turns out to be the basement man just kind of walking yeah, upstairs. Yeah, the basement of man. <laughs> it's catching on. With horrifying, terrible eyes. Yes. And then the entire family has to try and figure out how to get out of this house. And just as they're about to leave, the son, of course, decides, fuck you guys, I'm camping in our garden in the middle of this horrific rainstorm. Yes. And uh, three of them are under the table, and he has to turn off the vibrate on his phone because the daughter is texting him from in the house, which turns out to be, well, it could have been helpful, but ultimately the mum is texting them. But yeah, and they decide, 
let's sleep on the sofa and watch him. Like, isn't this fun in our giant house? And they just sit there being mean about uh, Mr. Kim together and saying how much he smells. And it's, no, it's not an old person smell. It's a poor person smell. Plus, that's the thing. It's obviously like there's the scene earlier on where the son meets all of the people who he interacts with, like he meets the he meets Mr. Kim, he meets Mrs. Kim, and he just goes around and smells them, and it's just like they all smell the same. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like it's a basement smell. Like we can't even like wash our clothes differently. It's just like the way that we are. That's just the mildew and... of you know just living in that mouldy and and like the implication that the father smells the worst because he's like you know oh it's that smell of like being on riding the subway and all that sort. Of, and does he do the silent single tear of, of just the most devastating of comments? <laughs> Like, I don't think he, I don't think he goes that far, but it's very much just. Kind of I like, just I was like looking for the casual. tear, and it's like, oh, are you crying? But he's just like his eyes are closed, and he's like smelling his shirt, and it's like, oh. <laughs> Song Kang Ho is so fucking good, mm-hmm. and I've watched so many movies with him this year, and I've seen him play so many different things. Like his character in this is so different to who he plays in like Snowpiercer, where he's like a drug addict <laughs> who like lock pick in that movie. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And just just a really fucking great presence, and I really hope he starts cropping up in more and more stuff. Definitely. But yeah, and then, I mean, uh, it's also in Thirst, that movie that you got kicked off a, a film festival. <laughs> it didn't get kicked off, it was just like, I don't know, I think they featured it slightly less prominently than they were planning to. They still showed it, they showed everything. They wouldn't entrust my dumb ass with like, should this be in the festival? And then the husband and wife wank each other off on the sofa while they're all having to just listen. <laughs> I love that Bong Joon-ho is just like, how can I make this sex scene awkward? And it's like, it's it's obviously like a very realistic portrayal of sex, mm-hmm. which is like a really nice thing that this movie does, where it's just yes. like, this is the kind of thing that you could see people doing. Yes, the nonchalance um, of the reach kind of thing when he first initiates it, and her being like, we shouldn't, while unbuttoning her shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Clockwise, all good stuff. And then just doing really shit dirty talk to each other. Yeah, where they're just like, oh, we've still got the underwear in the house. We can pretend to be like... <laughs> the underwear you can't bear to touch. <laughs> but the very mention of it uh, is... Yeah, and like fetishizing poor people um, for your kinks. Like, yeah, very, very awkward. <laughs> yeah, very awkward, especially because you know that they're under the table and they're watching this happen. Yeah. And... and also they're doing this when their son is like right outside. Just happily in a tent on his own. In the rain. And like, it won't leak, will it? No, we got it from America. It's like, mm, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> but yeah, eventually, like, they fall asleep in their post-orgasmic bliss, I guess. I mean, you were seeing... Uh, and as they're, like, creeping down the stairs to leave the house, the sun turns on this fucking, like, floodlight. <laughs> oh, God, and he just freezes, and it's like, you should probably just... I mean, I know moving will attract their attention, but, like... While the light is blinding them, that's probably your best opportunity to keep going. But this really tense moment where he's just frozen on the floor like a worm. <laughs> I, I love every time they like reposition the shot, and mm. it's just you can see what you can see what they see, and then his like feet are like just barely in the like eyesight of them, and it's just like oh god, if they looked to the left <laughs> a little bit, they would see this guy. Yeah, but they they make it out just about like i was like they surely won't but they do (laughs) and i half expected credits to roll and then i was like oh wait there are two super tied up people in that basement (laughs) that's the thing is like you think that this centerpiece is going to be like the the climax of the movie but the movie's like no 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 we've got a couple more screws to turn including the fact that this rainstorm that's going on it doesn't seem that bad even for the sun is actually going to be like apocalyptic flood level 
kind of thing that's going to wash out almost everyone from this little town and the, force them. To... The visual of Jessica sitting on the toilet that is exploding with sewage smoking is fantastic. <laughs> that is that the image I saved because obviously we had another post on the website talking about Parasite this year, and I was very much like, "That is a picture I want for our post <laughs> on this movie." It's her smoking the cigarette on the toilet. Yeah, like, you know, wading in and, like, he's like, oh, this is sewage water, be careful. And then, it, like, five seconds into his run, someone throws a bucket of it right in his face. And then, you know, fishing out the the mother's medal. Like, when they're fucking around in the garden, she, like, shows off her hammer toss and everything. And, like, you know, she has this medal. And, like, the frame is full of, like, yellow water. And, you know, the, the sun contemplating the metaphor rock. The, the metaphor rock that floats up to him as well. Yes. Um, which is like one of those moments where it's just like, what? Like, some people interpreted that as meaning that the rock was fake and it was actually hollow. Sure. But I think the rest of this movie kind of proves that that rock is definitely not hollow. It's a very heavy rock. Oh with a lot of damage. That, that kid would not be alive. Yeah, and like at the same time, like, the, the basement man has already shown that he Morse codes messages to thank the father and, and then he starts communicating to the boy who we know speaks, you know, he, he knows Morse code because he's a boy scout um, and it's like, right, well he's going to rumble on them, them, isn't he? But the kid never really <laughs> like does anything. Nothing with this. He's like, help me. I think it's because like he's not very good at the Morse code I think either. he's just fucking dumb. <laughs> it's the problem. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, like, I, I like that when you see him transcribing it, it's like, help me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the kid is the kid is not very intelligent and i think this is one of my my favorite moments of like the class differences between the two of them where the the kim family wake up and they're in like this mm. gym or this gymnasium and like it's the same gymnasium that actually shot some scenes in the host as well okay uh, which is a nice kind of like they've come back to this location 15 years after that movie came out or whatever just like all the displaced people from the flooding and yeah like you yeah, see exactly. them grabbing new clothes but other ones they fell asleep in like just soaked with sewage like potentially yeah, yeah exactly like it's, it's it's disgusting all these people have like lost their livelihoods and their possessions mm-hmm. and they've got no clothes and then the park family just wakes up and they're just like oh let's have a party yep oh, why not and you're coming that's it shut up <laughs> like like nothing bad has happened. They haven't flooded. They haven't lost anything. Mm. Like even their garden isn't flooded, and they're just like calling these people, forcing them to come round, yeah. and having this like nice normal Saturday where essentially they're just like, "Oh, go get some more sleep, honey. You had a really long night because you had to drive back and then like slept on the sofa and stuff like that." And I'll take the driver, and we'll go to the go to the supermarket and pick up all oh, the stuff. Oh god, I was gonna say like right. So she's. They'd say she's simple up front, and, like, we get a lot of mileage out of her being kind of dumb. She isn't actively horrible until you see her dragging him around, like, the grocery store and just sort of sitting there not looking while he bags everything up for her, and she's just, like, giggling and calling all her rich friends. It's like, now you're seeing, like, where the, you know, the the, the status and the money has has made her a shitty human being. And just, like, him looking so fucking sad in the car, which is an image that I feel everyone is legally entitled to show either him in the car or the the shot of the house from the outside kind of thing. Yeah, like, I feel like that is the meme shot from the movie, is, like, 
the the look on his face of mm-hmm. her in the background with her feet on the chair <laughs> on the phone and obviously like anyone who's seen the movie understands the context of that is because like the reason like she's wound the window down because he smells presumably because he hasn't had a chance to have a shower because mm-hmm. all of his possessions have gone in this massive flood and she's just like oh god he stinks i need to open the window like there's no yep. sympathy it's just like oh this is this is yeah, terrible and like you know she she was almost like what do you mean he smells and it's like that thing of like now he smells for a different reason but to her it's like oh he's right he does smell like and yeah and that that ends up being the motivation for a murder is a <laughs> wild wild thing but that's in a moment but yeah that is i mean that is the thing it's like you there's all this escalation going on now where basically these people just completely dehumanizing them like they think that they have this this respect but it's just like they don't care about you you're you're the help whatever yeah. and it just gets reinforced when Mr. Park is like walking around the garden to like talk to his son, and Mrs. Kim is like putting all the tables. He doesn't even bother offering to help her to do anything. Like, just do it quieter. He's sleeping in yeah. the tent because he was a little shit all night while I fucked his mum on the sofa. Anyway, yeah, and <laughs> the son making the decision I will murder the people in the basement with my metaphor <laughs> rock. If you're willing to do that, just leave them locked down there. Like. <laughs> Why would you risk this? Because he completely fucks it up and causes many, many deaths. Yeah, um, it really is all on him. Like, him... Not only him dropping the rock on the floor... <laughs> just as they uh, as... all fell down the stairs together. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, he is, he is very much that person. And then he finds the, the now dead body of the housekeeper. Because obviously, like... When she was tied up, originally she like threw up in the in the toilet, and obviously was just incredibly badly concussed. Yeah, and like that and went like, with the with the flooding scene as well. Like she's throwing up in a toilet, and then we cut to the other side of town, and like the toilets are like backing up, and yeah, yeah, yeah. duality. Good juxtaposition. Good yes. juxtaposition. In this movie. <laughs> Uh, and like obviously, her husband is just watching her her die very slowly, and is better, like her last words are like, "Remember, it was Mrs. Kim who did this to me. Like yeah. she's the one who kicked me down the stairs. It's all her fault." Yeah, calling uh, me nice sis, lady, which uh, like it's a th- like auntie is a is a term that you, you use for older women as a term of respect, and then I guess if you're both older women, you call each other sis. And like you know, the rich mother is obviously younger than both of them. But I think because she's rich, she feels she's on equal sort of social standing. Or well, she feels she's higher. But you know, like it's a big thing of respecting your elders. So it's that in itself that she calls um, Mrs. Kim sis. I think is a is a class thing as well. I feel I've interpreted that right. If anyone knows, I have not. Please do comment. But and then just everything goes south. Uh... <laughs> he super <laughs> should have died, man. Like. Like he gets garroted, he then has like is pulled across the room and like chained up in the pipes, and then he tries to escape by like running up the stairs, and then with a with a fucking thing still around his neck, (laughs) and then basement man just smashes his head with a with the metaphor rock twice, twice, and like like, that clever shot, you know, the wide shot of him like you know no cuts, he just throws it off his head and like you know. I assume that's CGI, because even if it were like a fake rock, he, there's no way you wouldn't flinch if, if someone threw that off your head, no matter what you make it out of. I, so. think, I think they had a foam rock, and obviously the foam rock can't bounce that much, because mm. rocks don't bounce very well. No. But I imagine it probably was the foam rock that they're throwing at his head. But, it's but just surely brutal... he would move. <laughs> like... <laughs> anyway. Yeah, uh... just this brutal scene where like he's downed all this 
plum juice. He takes like a massive jug and then just drinks everything in it because also he probably hasn't drunk anything in God knows how long. Uh-huh. And then smashes it on the floor and then turns around and you see the like the T face blood marks on his face <laughs> from where he's like smashed his head against the the light button. All yeah, that. the Morse code until he bleeds. And then yeah, I literally wrote "Basement Man is real!" exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark as he just stabs his way around the garden and like they had prearranged that. Mr. Kim and Mr. Park were going to, like, fake attack Jessica with little pretend... Well, hopefully pretend little hatchets. And then, for realsies, Basement Man stabs her what, to death and all hell ensues. And all the rich people just run away. And, uh, yeah, just that thing of, like, why are you helping a complete stranger? We need to go to hospital. Come and drive us. absolutely horrifying like this woman's been stabbed and they're like my son's having a seizure he's more important than the woman who's been stabbed yeah like, like no one is saying that kid doesn't need medical attention but like this woman is bleeding to death in front of you and yeah the keys ending up underneath them because he's like you know he accepts like all right fine just throw me the keys then if you're not gonna drive us and then uh yeah as i said that this man holding his like he can't even touch a poor person to save his son's life without like holding his nose. He's like, "Well, fuck you then," and stabs him to death. <laughs> and, yeah, wild. Because like, I, th- I I like it in terms of, and obviously I've seen some people complain the movie goes very violent for not very much reason. And I'm like, I disagree there. I think mm-hmm. it just shows it's a powder keg this man is, yeah it's, yeah basically it's been building and building and building and obviously they had this very stressful experience and i think he's coming to terms with the fact that this man is someone who is almost identical to him like they both had the same cake company they both had the same failures and yes. this is the man in the basement is what mr kim could have been in another universe yeah and that and, like watching this man like worship his you know not his jailer, because he doesn't know he's down there, but, you know, like, fervently worship this man that doesn't even know he exists, that he despises, and it's just like, oh, fuck you, like, you did this to this man that murdered my daughter, and I hate you, and, and, yeah. (laughs) Just pandemonium. (laughs) Just, yeah, pandemonium, like, we watched the the park daughter run away with the Kim's son on her back. (laughs) He's a very frail boy. Bleeding profusely. Jessica doesn't want, like, it hurts to have, like, the wound pulled in anymore. And then Mr. Kim is just like, I need to escape. And it's here that you remember that the housekeeper had, like, cut the line on the CCTV camera. Yeah, the fateful, the exact one that would have revealed his location. Funny yes. how things pay off. Chekhov's uh, cut wire. Just lots of, again, like, lots of great payoffs, lots of great symmetry in terms of, like, stuff. And then we get, like, I like I like this like sequence now where we jump ahead a couple of weeks where it turns out that Kiwi has had brain surgery because of the two rocks that have been thrown at his head and basically now can't stop laughing. Yeah. And the detective who doesn't look like a detective and the doctor who doesn't look like a doctor are really struggling to like process this. No, yeah, it's like do, do I have to start again <laughs> because he's laughing? Yeah, even laughing when they get a suspended sentence of forgery. Which, you know, they can't prove those two did anything because, thankfully, they dismiss Basement Man as a homeless person. They don't know about any ties to the former housekeeper. No one knows their former housekeeper is down there. So, ostensibly, a homeless man killed some people and these two people faked their identities. So, they get a suspended sentence. 
he laughs while looking at his dead sister's memorial, and they get followed around quite a lot for yeah, a while. I, I assume the suspended sentence is also in part because, like, the person they want to find is Mr. Kim. Yes, because he you know, killed someone. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, a rich exactly. person. Uh, and again, the, the great South Korean, like, sense of, like, slapstick where, like, he's just walking down the steps and detective like trips over some bins yes like, it's always there and i think obviously this movie doesn't employ it an awful lot but it's just nice when it does show up and it's like a like, nice little moment of levity but eventually the detective stop following them around and kiwu decides i'm gonna go to like have a look at the old house and just see what's going on down there mm. and there's now a german family living in it who are completely unaware of it because they basically got lied to by the real estate agents and they were like we definitely can't tell them but at least three murders happened on the premises. <laughs> yeah, it's the murder house. <laughs> yeah, and then he sees that the light is flickering, and we what an obnoxiously it. long letter. <laughs> I that is an, another complaint I've seen. There's a lot of people going like, "This is not what Morse code is for. Morse code <laughs> is not for this kind of communication. It's why the most famous Morse code communication is three letters long." Yes, that he's written this <laughs> potential like suicide note well not really but you know like his last will and testament almost you know he he buried the housekeeper while the house was abandoned but then after they sold it he just has to sneak upstairs in the evenings and bring some food down for himself and that, there is a fridge down there which explains away the whole but how would he live off of like food every <laughs> however long yeah and just he's still down there and the son He's like, I will, I will save up and I will buy the house. And we see this playing out of, of him buying the house and the three of them reunited. And it's, it was very like, I know this film is a bit far-fetched in general, but this is a step too far. And then, of course, all just in his imagination and he's still in the basement flat. The song playing at the end... Yeah, soju. Something in one of the songs in the end credits translates to 564 years which is how long Bong calculated it would take this boy to afford that house, which is just as bleak as it gets, really, isn't it? Um, it's that thing of, yeah. like, you know, people not understanding how long it would take you to become a billionaire and all that. Like, oh, I'll be a billionaire. And, you know. I love that they keep on, like, changing these shots. Like, I love that he buries the housekeeper in the same way that the housekeeper hid her husband down there. Like these, just moments of like no one being in the house, and obviously, like they both got reasons. Like the the old the basement man couldn't leave because he was being hunted by loan sharks, and Mister Kim can't leave because he's wanted for murder, which is presumably never really going to go away. He's probably going to be quite a famous face for killing someone quite high up in society. But the way that Mister Kim like leaves the basement in this fantasy sequence, just very slowly walking through the house and seeing his son and and wife outside, and just like the the most bittersweet of endings where it's just like that would be a lovely ending for it but it's just never going to happen no like it would have been far far too much <laughs> but yeah like we're left to just think you know i think bong has said that like the kid would have eventually come up with a hustle to like get into the house to set the to set the dad free and like you know what's stopping the dad from just sneaking out into the night kind of thing like he comes up for food can he not just leave? And I know, like, the police are after him, so it's, like, a, a, another level of complication. But, like, I would like to think the dad doesn't just die down there kind of thing. But, yeah, we, we don't know. But the story was told. Um, I did think, in some ways, it perhaps should have ended at the party. Like, 
Mr. Kim stabs Mr. Park, and then everyone's just like, what the fuck? And then we go to credits or something. But it's harmless. It's ten minutes, um, if that. Good movie. Capitalism bad. Capitalism bad. Yeah, I mean, just... And it's just nice to see movies that are this. Like, I love that they built the basement set and that entire street so they could flood it and all the rest of it. Yeah. Like, apparently, they're going to be rebuilding a lot of this stuff so it becomes, like, a point of South Korean tourism so you can actually go to the Parasite House. Good. I mean, like, it's like the kind of thing that you get from... Obviously, that in itself is kind of in, it's a capitalist kind of thing, but it reminds me of, like, the way that they do those pop-ups for the Friends apartment. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Come and see their living room. Like, I... Don't need to. <laughs> Come recreate um, your favourite scenes from the show. Yes, and like, like I've been. Have you been to Harry Potter, the Harry Potter studio tour? I haven't. I okay. haven't. I was like all for it, and then I came away from it, and I was like, this was crushingly disappointing because I have seen dozens of people taking the same fucking pictures outside Privet Drive and all of this sort of thing. I'm like, really? If you take all of the stuff I've already seen away. This is a gift shop and a pretty cool intro. <laughs> and yeah, it was pretty disappointing. But you know, hopefully the the Parasite stuff generates some money for the local area and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm going to say the, the, my most, well, not even a controversial thing, like being someone from Surrey, the idea <laughs> of going to visit a film set that looks like any house that I could just fucking stumble across on a walk yeah. sounds like the most idiotic way to spend a yeah. day no no for sure I, I found it profoundly underwhelming as an experience like it, it's not big enough and like, like seeing that like the one in universal studios like you can go into all the shops and then like our one it's like it's the shop fronts off you go and it's like okay cool so, not not to divert this into like a harry potter tangent but like the universal one has like the leaky cauldron is like their idea of a faux english pub where they do english pub food and so i was like i'm hungry we're here let's try some of this so i got toad in the hole and it was just like a pancake with a sausage and then some like very watery gravy and it was just like the fuck is this this is not Yorkshire pudding bad 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 who knows maybe americans come here and order like pizzas and cheeseburgers like this is fucking terrible um can't really fuck up a pizza or a cheeseburger though no no such thing that's bad pizza um i do want to give just before we like sign off from this i want to give a sign out uh, a a shout out to hong kong Pupio, who did the cinematography on this movie he also did burning for lee chang dong he's done a lot of movies with bong joon ho as well like he did mother he did snowpiercer so like working really well but just it looks really good yeah like the whole movie looks really good just everything about it like the acting's fantastic the the movie looks fantastic the score's fantastic just the complete package and you can see why it won and the fact that it's one of those very rare moments where like i think there are some people who would be like i preferred another movie from this year but i don't i think this is the first time since moonlight that the oscars are like you got this right and that makes it sound like the oscars get it right a lot more than they do like oh they got it right two times in five years but it's like (laughs) kind of an achievement for the Oscars and having like covered all these movies where we like haven't covered that many Best Picture nominees. Like we've covered quite a few Best Picture nominees, mm. but like more often than not we're covering like the movie that probably was like seventh or eighth most likely to win Best Picture. <laughs> yeah. Well we're just contrarians, so you know. We are just contrarians. <laughs> uh before we go, 
because I watch a lot of movies, here's my top 10 of 2019. Mm. Uh, and number 10, I've got Pain and Glory, uh, which is just a wonderful, wonderful movie in which Antonio Banderas has a lot of drugs and kisses men. Mm-hmm. Like I, w- w- one of the first Movadon movies I've seen in quite a while, and mm. I was just like, I completely in love with it after I came out of it. Yeah. Number nine is The Farewell, which is just another fantastic movie, which is also completely devastating. Uh, I went to see it with a friend who burst into tears after we finished with it, and we had to sit in the cinema for about ten minutes whilst we like made sure that she was okay. Mm. Number eight, The Souvenir. Number seven, Uncut Gems. Yeah, still haven't watched um, it. It's got The Weeknd in it. It's got Kevin Garnett in it. And it's it costs me nothing to watch. Still haven't seen it. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Just I know. treat yourself one night. At some point, maybe. Do it Christmas Day. That's a nice, like, non-panicky watch on Christmas Day. Yeah, fun. <laughs> uh, number six, The Irishman. Again, I just reference it. A movie Matt will never see. Nope, never. Pay me. <laughs> uh, five, Knives Out. Four, Midsummer. Three, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I think if we didn't have Booksmart, I would be fighting for Portrait to be on the list. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, I think I'd be pushing my luck having Portrait on the list, but I think Portrait is the the second best kind of like LGBTQ film of the decade after Moonlight. It's just wow. an absolutely wonderful, wonderful masterpiece of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just absolutely fantastic. And then the two movies that we've covered sequentially, Little Women number two and Parasite number one. Nice. Um, so... That's the end of the volume, 25. We generally rank them properly at the end, but, like, do you just have, like, a quick, like, top three? I'll do my top five. Okay. Which I've been keeping track of. So, number five, Parasite. Yep. Number four, Handmaiden. Mm-hmm. Number three, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Mm-hmm. Number two, Boyhood. Mm-hmm. Number one, Social Network. Okay. I would go number one, Whiplash. Number two, Social Network. Number three... Three, Scott Pilgrim. Number four, Handmaiden. Number five, Creed's really good, but really good. I don't know. I'll just say, Bad Times at the El Royale, just because that's such a sentimental favorite for me. But nah, nah, fuck it. Let's say something like Short Term Twelve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's a awesome. solid top four, and then everything else I would have to sort of negotiate around a bit. But. And in terms of stuff I hadn't seen, Handmaiden is number one with a bullet. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, like I like that we've got like very similar threes in terms of like <laughs> there's three movies that we've got very similarly in sync. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there we go. We're done. We are. We have been podcasting nonstop since our Ant-Man and the Wasp episode, I believe. Yeah. Probably. So I think I think we've been on a run ever since then. Yeah. Why don't you ask me the question that we ask at the end of the episodes and the seasons? And my answer is going to be a little bit more bleak than uh, than normal. Okay, Matthew. Will there be movies? Maybe not. Um, I am a very very tired boy. I have uploaded something in the region of three hundred pieces of content to EnterTheRealWorld.com. I have been podcasting almost nonstop for four and a half years now. Yeah, since Mike and I started doing X-Men, like, obviously those were, like, once a week, and then we did Batman, and then it got a little bit spottier of, like, maybe there'll be a podcast each month, but, you know, then you came aboard, and we have done 25 Marvel movies, some bonus episodes of that, we've done Kicky Punchy Men, we've done Secret Agent Men, we have done... Nothing ever ends. So we've covered Watchmen, The Leftovers. We've done two volumes of this. Kevin Ford joined the site and I uploaded all of his Lost podcast. 
all of his Adventure Time podcast. Jerome brought the Superhero Pantheon and then Pantheon Plus to the website. All of those have gone up. Real bad. Just Mike and I have found spots here and there as well. Uh, Mars Investigated, etc., etc. This is all a very long way of saying I've had a bit of a kind of existential moment of crisis where I needed to take a break from this. I don't want to be as melodramatic as to say that, like, I'm done with podcasting forever. I don't know how I'm going to feel in a month, three months, six months, whatever. Potentially by the time you hear this announcement, I may have already come back on it. But right now, I just, I can't really face doing any more for a while. Maybe I will return for volume three of this podcast, which would be sort of summer of of next year. The 90s would be, like, we had to go forwards and then go backwards, so the 90s would be the one there is the skeleton of a list on a google doc that you know could probably be completed quite easily and you know i would assume by around summer i'll i'll start missing it and i'll want to come back but yeah i kind of need some time out like and i know i want to apologize to ben because i literally told him this last night and we had plans to you know have a series that would start literally the week after you hear this and run the whole way through 2021 a full schedule planned and that's now not going to happen or certainly not soon yeah it's i just i just need some time away from it i think and you know much love to jerome doing the hundred movies and kevin's various uh, podcasts and stuff i am kind of harsh as it sounds glad both of those features are over i uploaded something in the region of 250 odd images for jerome's 100 movie list a lot of stuff for kevin's podcast like he said he doesn't know if he's going to do anything as long term as the as the lost and the adventure time ones and i'm kind of quietly glad of that and i hope he doesn't go back on that jerome i have enjoyed the 100 movie list but please don't do anything like that again <laughs> so there will still be an end to the real world.com putting ben on the spot but if he wants to do anything that will course go on the website but yeah matt 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 is a very tired boy matt needs to stop for a while and no. recharge some batteries the fact that we've had i think at two different points in the last what 18 months plans to like we're gonna stop and have a break <laughs> for like a month and then something else would happen and then yeah. obviously continuing to publish inane bullshit throughout <laughs> one of the most stressful years of anyone who's alive's life is quite frankly insane the fact that we've kept the schedule the fact that we're finishing this on the 5th of december for an episode that isn't even going to be on until the very last week of december yeah i'm proud um, of how well we've kept ahead of schedule to make yeah. sure there's no like last minute whatever whatever and we've met every deadline i think like some episodes have gone up an hour late i don't think a single episode has gone up a day late ever or a week late or anything like that in the whole history yeah. of the website so if anything stuff's gone up early <laughs> yeah some stuff has accidentally gone up early that's true but i just want to say from the very bottom of my heart thank you these hour-long conversations with matt have been one of the few things keeping me sane for the last year <laughs> even whilst like i've been on furlough i've been under insane pressure at work i've been taking on an apprenticeship at the same time and the knowledge that i would get to come and sit for an hour to two hours and just talk to matt about movies <laughs> was like a very nice highlight of my week yeah. um well maybe we'll that's... just do this without a microphone for a while <laughs> <laughs> no, no no editing pressure on anyone but uh, no like even when we would sit and talk about video games and other unnamed bullshit for about 30 minutes before we talk it was just a nice yeah. relaxing presence in the week yeah uh, especially when you're not getting that you know daily 
round the office kind of stuff uh, with COVID. So yeah, yeah, that has definitely been lovely. But I think I would like to just watch some stuff on my own schedule and not have to talk about it on a website for a while. Oh, and I, absolutely. I know barely anyone is listening. But thank you if you are and. Maybe I'll be back uh, sooner than I imagine I will be. I'm imagining a tentative I'll be back for There Will Be Movies Volume 3. But we'll see. Maybe something will drag me back earlier. Maybe I'll just decide, eh, maybe I'm good with just not podcasting anymore. But anyway, that is the much longer non-jokey answer to Will There Be Movies. Do you want me to ask it again and then get a jokey answer? I don't have one, so don't. <laughs> Fine. Bye, everyone. Bye. No, uh, thank you everyone so much. Thank you for listening to all of Volume 2. Uh, and keep checking out IntoTheRealWeb.com. Follow everyone on Twitter. Christmas has passed, so we can't even say that. But yeah, hopefully 2021 will be a lot better for everyone than 2020 has been. And uh, I will see everyone down the road, maybe. Bye. Happy New Year. I did it for so long. Still I didn't know. And I did it for so long. I got nothing to show.